some of you here for the first time, and so what I'd like to do is um, just let you know where we are. Oh, by the way, my name's uh, Pastor Dave. I'm the uh, senior pastor here. But we've been going through a series called Shape, which is basically God has uniquely created each one of us. He's given us spiritual gifts. The H stands for heart or passion. You know, what are you really excited about? What are the things that God's made you excited about? He's given you special abilities or gifts or natural talents. And your personality, each one of us have different personalities that God has given us. You know, some of us are extroverted. Some of us are more introverted. There's no right or wrong because God created you and he has a unique plan for us. And also our experiences. And the last time I was up here, I shared that God doesn't waste experiences. That whatever you've gone through in life, you know, God promised, you know, good's going to come out of that for those who love him and for those who have been called according to his purpose. And then we started to jump into the next part of this series where we were taking a look at people in the Bible and how they use their shape. You know, last week, Pastor Phil talked about Moses. And here you think Moses is this great leader of God, and he was one of the greatest prophets. But if you take a look at his shape, you know, he was the one who said, God, I don't know. You know, I'm not a very good speaker. You didn't give me a whole lot of abilities to work with. And then God said, don't worry, I'm going to be with you. Last night I was um, blessed to sit in in the youth group, and it was career night where we had students from, you know, APU come and share about their experience in college. I know Alicia was there, Rachel was there, and they shared about, you know, their journey and how they chose a college, how they were choosing majors. And it was just blessed for me to see them. The the way they chose a major was, you know, I want to do something to serve God. You know, God has given me certain abilities, certain talents that I want to serve God and um, James Yokoyama, he came up and he's a uh, career counselor at Cal Poly Pomona and his first statement was that there are more than four jobs and he was talking to his parents meaning there are more careers than just being a doctor, a lawyer an engineer and I forgot the fourth one, what was it? Dentist Okay, and so parents, you know, God doesn't call all of your kids to become professionals. He's gifted them, you know, in different ways. And and Ruth Wong, who's a high school counselor, she got up and shared, and she was saying, yes, God has gifted us in different ways, and, you know, we're supposed to go in that direction. We're not, you know, don't chase the money, because if you chase the money, you're not going to be happy. God's given us each spiritual gifts. That he wants us to use. But you know what? Sometimes when we use our shape, God's going to put us into situations where we're going to be in the lion's den. Where it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be comfortable. And it could be at times scary. And today we're going to look at the life of Daniel and see how God used his shape. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to start with Daniel 1. So what were Daniel's natural abilities? What natural abilities did Daniel have? Well, just a backdrop on this, you know, the Israelites, they disobeyed God. And so what happened was, since they disobeyed God, God used the Babylonian Empire to come and conquer them, and they took the Israelites over to um, Babylonia in order that they might serve the Babylonians and be their servants and slaves. And this is where we pick this up. 
Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his court's officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. And he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. So one of the things as we read further, Daniel was one of these men that um, King Nebuchadnezzar brought into his court. And what does he say about their natural abilities? Well, the first thing is they showed aptitude for every kind of learning. They were really smart. They were very intelligent. So we know that Daniel was a very intelligent person. He was well-informed. You know, he read. He was inquisitive. He was quick to understand. So not only was he intelligent, whenever um, he was faced with a new situation, whenever he was faced with information that he had to learn, he picked it up quickly. So those are natural gifts. On top of it, it says Daniel was without physical defect and handsome. Okay, so picture Brad Pitt and Albert Einstein. You put them together, and that was Daniel. Don't you hate that? I mean, the guy's not only smart... But man, he looked like Brad Pitt too. But, you know, that was Daniel. Okay, so this is what, uh, the way that God has gifted him. These are some of the natural abilities that God has gifted Daniel with. Um, but he also, what are some of his spiritual gifts? Spiritual gifts. And we know, like Pastor Phil said last week, that the Holy Spirit really didn't come down and live um, inside and dwell in the hearts of believers until Pentecost. So back in the Old Testament, what would happen is the Holy Spirit would come down and dwell inside um, the hearts and souls of individuals for a period of time. And we see that in Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. And so that when Saul was crowned the king of Israel, the Holy Spirit came upon Saul and gave him the power and the wisdom he needed to, to rule. However, Saul disobeyed God. And when Saul disobeyed God, the Holy Spirit left him. And this is why when David sinned, you know, he said, you know, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Because at that time, the Holy Spirit re- resided on David. And he knew he blew it. He knew he committed murder. King David knew that he committed adultery. And his whole thing was, God, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Whereas today, we know that the Holy Spirit dwells in us for our entire um, lifetime, but back before Jesus Christ, back before Pentecost, the Holy Spirit didn't do that. But the Holy Spirit did impart power and wisdom to people and gifts at a certain time. And so, what did He impart to Daniel? And if we see this in Daniel one seventeen, to these four young men, um, this was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, the four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. So Daniel was already smart. But God gave him the um, knowledge and the understanding. And I think of spiritual matters. But he also gave him the ability to interpret dreams and visions. And it also goes on to say that in verse 20, In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better 
than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. And so God gave them these spiritual gifts. And because God gave them these spiritual gifts, um, the king noticed that they were ten times better than all of the other magician and the wise men in the king's courts. So these were the spiritual gifts that God imparted to Daniel. Well, what was Daniel's heart? You know, that's the H, you know, S-H. Well, Daniel used his shape to bring glory to God. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And so it was troubling him. And so he called all of the um, magicians and enchanters and all the wise men forward and said, I have a dream and I, um, I need it to be interpreted. And so what, did that, what they did was the head of the chief of the magicians goes, okay, tell us your dream and we'll interpret it for you. And King Nebuchadnezzar says, no. He goes, you tell me my dream. And then you interpret it. And this kind of freaked them out. Because remember when, you know, when I was up here last, I talked about Pharaoh. Well, Pharaoh had a dream, and Joseph interpreted that. But in that account, Pharaoh told Joseph the dream, and God gave Joseph the interpretation. Now, this is totally different, okay? Nebuchadnezzar says, no, I'm not going to tell the dream. You are supposed to be the magicians. You are supposed to be the seers in my kingdom. If you truly are who you say you are, you would know my dream, and you will interpret it. And they were saying, no person could do that. It's impossible. And so the king gets really mad and said, look, guys, you are just stalling for time. And so he was first, and he was going to kill all of them. He was going to kill all of them. However, Daniel, if we look at Daniel 2.27, it says, Daniel replied. Now, this is when he's talking um, to the talking. He said, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and your visions that pass through your mind as though you were lying in bed are these. And so what he did is God gave him the gift of interpreting dreams and visions. Okay, all of the other wise men, the enchanters and the seers in Babylonian, you know, they didn't have the power of God behind them. Daniel did. But he knew that the king was going to kill all of them. But he also knew that God gave him this gift. And so he goes before the king and says, you know what, there's nobody, there's nobody that could interpret your dream. However, there's a God in heaven that can't interpret the dream. What did Daniel do? Did Daniel say, there is no one in the kingdom that could interpret this, but I can? No. Daniel immediately gave the glory to God. He didn't take any of it um, himself. And so we see this in the book of Daniel, that Daniel's passion and Daniel's heart was to live a life in order to give glory to God. And that's a lesson for each one of us, that God has given us spiritual gifts. Not so we could pump ourselves up, so not could say, wow, look at so-and-so, they could do this, they could do that. You know, it's so what? They could give glory to God. And this is what Daniel's passion was. But what about his personality? 
what was this personality like? And, you know, a lot of times when we're looking at a person, they didn't have shape, shape back then. You know, Daniel didn't take the Myers-Briggs. And so when we take a look at who Daniel was, we try to take a look at how he reacted in certain things. But we know that I think that Daniel, his personality was that he was very relational. He was a very people-oriented person. And because, you know, when the king, when he heard that the king was going to kill all of the uh, magicians and seers because they couldn't interpret the dream and Daniel could, what did he do? He went to his friends. He went to his friends and he asked them to pray for him. He, did, he wasn't like, and we're going to talk about Peter in a couple of weeks, but he was like Peter who said, hey, I'm, I'm there, I'm going to go for it. No, he consulted his friends. And then we're going to see later on that he had a dream that the king had. And it wasn't a favorable dream. And it kind of broke Daniel's heart. He said, oh, I wish this dream, um, the interpretation of this dream, would be for your enemies and not you. But we also see in Daniel 9 that Daniel cared for the people of Israel and he prayed for them. So we see that Daniel was a relational person and that God uses that. Finally, um, Daniel's experiences. You know, Daniel lived out his shape or his personality in the midst of grave danger because God gave him the gift of interpreting dreams. And the first dream that he had to interpret was the one that King Nebuchadnezzar had. And that pretty much the dream that Daniel interpreted meant the Babylonian Empire would come to an end. And that was the dream. And could you imagine Daniel um, saying, oh man, um, when he got that, he, he praised God that he got the um, interpretation of the dream, but now he's going to the king, the most powerful man in the world, that had life and death in his hand, held life and death in his hand, and he had to go to him and say, well, your dream meant that your empire, the Babylonian empire, would come to an end. That's a pretty scary thing to do. Yet, Daniel had to use his shape to tell the king that. There was another king, Nebuchadnezzar, that also had a dream. And his dream, the interpretation is, because this king was so prideful and arrogant that God was going to uh, make him live like a crazed animal for seven years. Once again, this was an arrogant and prideful king. And God gave Daniel the interpretation. And what did Daniel have to do? Man. He had to go before the king again and give, you know, the bad news. Scary stuff. And finally, the third vision is King Belshazzar. Now, this man was also prideful and arrogant, and he used the things of God that were sacred and holy to the nation of Israel, and he brought all of them out, and he was using them at his party as they worshipped other gods. And so this is where we see the handwriting on the wall, where there were, God had a hand, and it was just writing words on a wall. And this is where you get the term, well, the writings on the wall. Well, it came from this. But you know what Daniel's prophecy, interpretation of that vision? Was King Belshazzar's rule. Because he was arrogant, King Belshazzar's rule was going to come to an end. And it happened that night where it came to an end, and he was killed in the 
the Medo-Persians came and took over Babylon. But here God gave him a gift. And what did he have to do? He had to go before the most powerful man and three times tell him bad news. Sometimes God's going to use our gifts and is going to put us in places that are scary and we're going to say, God, why'd you give me this gift? Couldn't you have given this gift to somebody else? But Daniel had the courage to use that gift to tell the king what God needed to, uh, God wanted him to hear. And finally, the lion's den. I think this is the story that most of us are familiar with, where King Darius um, was ruling at the time, um, the king of the Medo-Persians. And what was going on at that time was Daniel was um, gaining favor in the eyes of the king. And the king was going to put him over, you know, was going to make him one of the top officials in the government. And all of Daniel's peers were getting jealous of him. And so, they know that he was a faithful man. They knew that Daniel was a pious person. So they go before the king, and they suggest this. They go, King Darius, for the next 30 days, no one could pray to any god except you. For the next 30 days. And if anyone prays um, to a god other than you, you will throw them into the lion's den. Well, what did Daniel do? Daniel, his experiences taught him that God took care of him, even though his past experience told him that God would take care of him. So he hears this edict that no one was to pray to any God except they were to pray to the king for 30 days. So Daniel goes to his bedroom, windows wide open, and he prays to God where everyone could see it. And then once again, what do these officials do? They think the plan's working. They go to the king, and they say, King, didn't you say that no one could pray to anybody but you for the next 30 days? But there's this guy named Daniel. You know him. He's praying to his God right now. We need to, put, we need to punish him. You said that the punishment is death through the Bible, you know, throwing them in the lion's den. And that's what happened. And these were Daniel's experiences. I mean, he was a young man, and he had to stand before the king. And so when I was trying to figure out, how did a young person have so much courage and faith and knowledge, you know, to stand, you know, make a stand against the king? And as I I was reading um, some of the commentators, they're saying he must have come from a very spiritual family, that they must have trained him well and taught him about God. And um, their faith for such a young man to have enough courage to stand in front of the uh, king and utilize the gifts that God had given him. Because most, you know, young people would probably say, "I'm out of here. Let me see if I could, you know, escape, you know, Babylon." And once again, I know um, you might be tired of me hearing this, but you know, parents, that's us. You know, it's our responsibility to raise our kids so they could be strong in the faith. So they, even though they were a young person like Daniel, they were able to stand up to the king, knowing that regardless whether the king executed him or not, that he was going to take a stand for his faith. He was going to do what he believed God wanted him to do. 
But all of these experiences that Daniel had led him up to being um, praying and knowing that he would probably be executed, be executed by you know lions. And if you've ever watched like the Nash Discovery or National Geographic, being eaten by a lion is probably the worst way to go, because it's not like they kill you before they eat you. I mean, they're eating you while you're you know still alive. It's not a very pleasant death. And this is what Daniel, you know, had to face. But some of us might have to, um, God might be gifted us in certain areas. And he's going to give us experiences where we're going to have to, well, what do we do? Do we do what we know is right? Or do we compromise in what we know is right? I remember, um, and I think I've told you this before, but when I was a uh, supervisor at Continental, I, would, I had the... Uh, you know, many times I had the 5 a.m. shift where I'd have to open up at the ticket counter. And I lived at Whittier at the time, and there was no 105 freeway. And so the way you had to go is I had to go through the 10, through downtown, to the 405, or I'd have to take the 605 to the Artesia. Either way, the traffic was bad. My shift started at 5. One time I wake up, I look at the clock, 6 a.m. I go, nah, that's not right. And I woke up, 6 a.m. You know, I was supposed to be at work at 5 a.m. And it's 6 a.m. And I know, oh my goodness, I'm already an hour late. It's probably going to take me an hour and a half to two hours to go from Whittier to LAX. So I call my assistant supervisor up and I said, you know, look, I woke up really late. Um, and it's going to take me about an hour and a half to two hours to get to work. So that's going to put me about three hours late. Um, I just want to let you know that. And she said, don't worry, Dave, we got you covered. Well, in the meantime, what I didn't realize is the um, passenger service manager, and she was like two um, levels above me, she was looking for me because I, she, uh, there was some information that she wanted that only I had that and she needed for, I think it was a report. And so I was nowhere to be found. But my assistant supervisors were covering for me. She'd go to them and say, you know, have you seen Dave? Like, oh, yeah, I think he's down at the ramp. You know, and so she goes down to the ramp. And then um, they go, well, did you see Dave? He's supposed to be there. And then they were saying, then they get on the radio and say, Dave, are you there? Dave, are you there? We're looking for you. And then one of the other assistant supervisors would say, oh, yeah, I, I just saw him in baggage service. And so this was going on and on for three hours. So this manager is just like going all over the place looking for me. I wasn't even there. And so I finally get there three hours later. And they said, don't worry, Dave, we got you covered. And so I said, I just, okay, guys, I'm going to be right back. They go, where are you going? I said, I'm going to the manager's office to tell him I'm late. And they go, you're doing what? And I said, you know, I was late. You know, I expect you guys to be here on time. And we hold you accountable. I need to be held accountable too. They go, no, Dave, we covered for you. You don't get it. You know, you're not in any trouble. She got the information from somebody else. Don't worry about it. You know, but I said, no. And at the a time, that was tough because I had rose um, to the, uh, I guess, level of supervisor, you know, faster than a lot of people there. And there were a lot of managers there, the, my supervisors, who um, considered me a threat. And they wanted me gone. And so this is just one way 
that they could say, okay, this is another mark, you know, let's get rid of Dave. You know, I wasn't late before, um, but they were just looking for reasons or ways to get rid of me. And so all of this is going through my head. You know, they covered for me. Um, my supervisors want me fired. You know, if I don't say anything, no one will know. But then I realized, you know, experience that my parents told me that I had to do what was right. That sometimes that means standing alone. And even if it meant losing my job, I had to do what was right. So I went in there and I told um, my manager what had happened. And she just actually praised me. <laughs> she goes, well, no other supervisor has that much loyalty from their employees. So actually I didn't get in trouble. But, you know, it was a lesson that um, I wanted, you know, my people to know is that, you know, I was late, and um, I need to be honest about it, and whatever consequences happen. Um, and so, God uses these experiences to shape and mold, mold us, right? And so Daniel, he had all of these experiences that led up to the point where he was able to say, you know what, even if it get, means me getting mauled, by some lions, you know, I'm going to live out my faith. I'm going to stand for God. I am not going to pray to King Darius. His experience has taught him that. And so, what were the results of Daniel living out his shape? And I think this is a principle for all of us. Is as a result of Daniel living out, of his, out his shape, Unbelievers recognized and praised Daniel's God. You know, the first king, Nebuchadnezzar, when um, Daniel interpreted his dreams, this was what he says in Daniel 2.47. Then the king said to Daniel, Surely your God is a God of God and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you are able to reveal this mystery. So what happened? King Nebuchadnezzar, who believed in other gods, as soon as Daniel lived out his shape, what did he do? He praised and gave glory to Daniel's God. The second King Nebuchadnezzar, the one that was Daniel had to tell that, well, because you're arrogant, God's going to turn you and you're going to live like a crazed animal for seven years. After those seven years were over, King Nebuchadnezzar regained his senses. And this is what he says in Daniel 4.37. It says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all of his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Once again, you know, he had his own gods he believed in. But after experiencing Daniel... After seeing Daniel use his shape in his presence, King Nebuchadnezzar praised Daniel's God and gave glory to Daniel's God. Well, what about King Darius, who threw, uh, had to um, throw Daniel into the lion's den? Well, in Daniel um, 6.26, it says, this is after Daniel was freed and it was found that the lions did not harm Daniel. 
It says, I, this is King Darius, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. You had three kings who believed in their God. But because Daniel lived out his shape, because Daniel had the courage to stand for his faith, all of those three kings glorified and praised Daniel's God. So that is the result of him living out his shape. So what does that leave us today? How does that apply to us? As we live out our faith, are people glorifying, are people believing and praising our God because of the way we acted in certain situations. Now, granted, a lot of us are not going to be put in these type of situations. I doubt if anyone here is going to be thrown to a group of lions. You know, but there are things that we're going to have to make a stand in. There are things at your work, things in your school, um, you know, things in, you know, maybe that happen at your family or within organizations that you belong to, that you're going to say, huh, okay, God has given me certain gifts, so I'm us- utilizing them, but now he's put me in a place that I'm going to have to make a stand for him. What do I do? What do I do? And God wants us to use his shape so he could give glory to God. So people could see that and give glory to God. And it's tough. I know it because I'm, I'm one of those guys that will, I'm a calculated risk taker. You know, I, I certainly don't have the bravery or courage of Daniel. And I just, I take calculated risks. And as I was thinking about, you know, my life and I go, you know, not many people really acknowledge God because of the way I live my life. You know, I, I maybe had that happen once in my life. And I was thinking about that and I go, man, why don't people see God living in my life? You know, and then it kind of hit me that somehow down the road, I reduced my faith or Christian walk to this. The belief that Christianity is about nice people doing nice things for nice people. And that's how I lived my life. I was a nice person who did nice things for nice people. And I thought, I thought, as I thought about that more, and I thought about our friends who weren't um, believers, I go, wow, they are nice people who do nice things for nice people. All of our friends... We're like that. And so as I was thinking about it, there is no difference between them and me. There's no difference between the way I live my life and the way that they're living their life. No wonder they're not seeing the power of God living in um, my life because they're doing the same thing without the power of God. And so as I was thinking about this, I said, God, give me the courage to step out in faith. You've given me certain gifts. You've given me certain abilities. You've given me certain experience in my personality and passion. Father, would you allow me to step out in faith 
and encourage to step out of my comfort zone, to live the faith you want me to live. Not being a nice, not just being a nice person who does nice things for nice people. And when we have the courage to step out in faith, that's when God's going to, that's when you're going to see things happen. It didn't happen in Daniel's life until he went before the king. You know, and he had to risk being executed for telling the king bad news that he was able to see God work. It wasn't until he went to his bedroom and went right next to his window and prayed to God and then as a result of him living out his faith, being thrown into the lion's den, that he saw the miracle of God. And so maybe you are just like me. Some of you sitting here are just struggling with the same thing that you know I've been struggling with. God, where are you? God, how come I don't see your power? How come I don't see stuff like this in my life? You know, that I see in people in the Bible. And once again, it was because I was just being a nice person who did nice things for nice people. God wants each one of us to use the shape that he's given us to follow him. And if we look at scripture, God will always lead us into more and more difficult situations so we could grow. But the way we act in in those situations makes all the difference in the world to people. So do we play it safe? Or... Do we say, God, okay, you've gifted me, and I think you're calling me to do this. You know, it's scary where I think you're calling me, and I'm going to go and I'm going to ask people to pray for me. But God, if that's your will that I do this, I'm going to do this. That's when we see the power of God work. And today, it could be as easy as signing up for a ministry in a ministry fair. For those of us who've been in the church a long time, it's a you know, it's a no-brainer. You just got there and signed. But I know for some of you, signing up for a ministry, it could be scary. It could be like, well, who are the people I'm going to be serving with? You know, what will they think of me? What if I mess up? What if I make a mistake? The reason why we have that out there is that God has given each one of us a shape. That God has made each one of us a part of this body. And I believe with all my heart that if you're sitting here today and you, you know, call Mission Valley your family, God brought you here because you have certain um, personalities, gifts, um, natural abilities, spiritual gifts, experiences, and your personality that we need here at Mission Valley. That we were deficient in certain areas and in order for us to function as the body of Christ he brought you to us because we need you now all I'm asking is that you have enough courage to go out there afterwards and sign up for a ministry you know if you make a mistake that's okay if you don't know how to do it you know we'll teach you and if God nudges you if you could take your little ticket and put it in my booth, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> I mean, sorry, if you take a look at my booth 
and you take a look at all the other booths out there, you'll know why I said that. Um, but anyway, you know, this is why um, you know, we have this ministry. And this is an opportunity for you to use your shape to get involved in the life of this church. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for Daniel. And Lord, I just admire him so much. He's one of the people in the Bible that I always, I wish I had his courage. I wish I could live like him. And Father, I know that you're saying, Dave, you can. I've given you gifts. I've given you passions. I've given you abilities. I've given you a personality. I've given you experiences for you to do that. And that you are no different than Daniel. The only difference is that Daniel chose to follow you into dangerous situations. And so, Father, I want to pray for our congregation here this morning. There are some that might just be restless right now, you know, and where they are spiritually. And, Father, I call this holy discontent, where your spirit is just working in their soul as they're asking themselves, is there more to my faith? than this? Is there more to my living out my faith than just doing, being a nice person, doing nice things for nice people? And Father, if you are stirring that in the hearts of the people, Lord, I pray that they would seek other believers out, that we could sit and pray with them and pray, help them pray through this and discern where you're calling them. So Father, that we could all experience you and your power in the way that brings you glory and honor that people, Father, would see the way we live our lives and say, surely the living God is with you so that you might be glorified. And Father, I thank you so much for your patience with us and that you know, Father, that some of us might be afraid, afraid of failure, afraid of not knowing, afraid of maybe not looking competent. But Father, there's a price that comes through following you. And Father, that you're going to use all of our experiences, all the times where we did feel incompetent, all the times where we did fail. And Father, you're going to turn those into good. And so once again, Father, I pray for every person here. I pray for our ministry fair that people would sign up. Even if they don't know how to do a certain ministry, if they feel that you are calling them there, that they would sign up today to be a part of this body so we as a body could be equipped and glorify you by the way we live out our faith as a corporate body. Thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.